It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you like my show, then check out other amazing shows on the Podcast One Sportsnet. Check out the plethora of the finest programming on the web with your favorite sports from the biggest names in sports. And get the finest sports coverage around every weekday with The Rich Eisen Show and Dan Patrick Show. Check out The Rich Eisen Show, Dan Patrick Show, and more every week on Podcast One Sportsnet or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Tom Haverstrow, newly minted NBA insider for NBC Sports. Very excited about his new gig. I've been seeing him on various different broadcasts as I've been watching the league and had a really interesting conversation about his most recent piece, which is on Steph Curry and the changing offense in the NBA. And so we get onto that and some of the other ramifications of it, where this might be going over the next couple of years and the kind of counter moves that might be involved in everything else. So really enjoyed the conversation. It is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the podcast one promo code for a 50% signup bonus. Simple contacts, simplecontacts.com slash real GM or the real GM code at checkout and you get $20 off your order. It's awesome. Pluto TV, leading free streaming television service and TrueCar. This conversation is a little bit shorter than many Real GM Radio episodes, but still great. I uh, There are a lot in there that I think it's worth chewing on and thinking about, and I really enjoyed having this conversation and kind of thinking about where this goes, and it's a good statement of the moment right now, and we don't know exactly where the rest of the season is going, but for the major takeaways of the first you know few weeks to a month of the season, so hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. A lot of different things that we can discuss, and I think a good place to start, though, is your exciting new gig. And I know that there are upsides and downsides, let's say that way, to traveling around the country. But you, I mean, with NBC, you've gotten to see some some really cool things so far. And I just wanted to get your perspective on the first couple weeks of the NBA season as a traveling expert, as, as I guess the way that I would describe it. <laughs> I did the math, 13 cities in 22 days. So that was a hellish – I don't know if NBA teams have it that bad. But um, I was happy to do it because NBC Sports just shepherded me around the country to the seven regionals. They broadcast the games, obviously, you know, uh, for the Warriors. Um, and since you watch a lot of League Pass, you know they broadcast the Kings, the Blazers, the Bulls, Boston Celtics, the 76ers – and the Washington Wizards. So I hit seven different regionals uh, in like two weeks, and I've, I'm a Delta guy, so I'm the idiot who has layovers in every single trip that I had there. So I hit 
20 uh in 22 days 13 uh cities and it was it was crazy but i got to watch this the 51 point game from steph i actually did the game with fitz and jb and it was like a dream come true it was such a cool experience being not just a sick courtside for that watching steph go off and have john wall and brad beal just not know what to what the heck to do out there but um just the energy and the oracle and to be able to experience that for such an inferno it actually propelled me to do this first piece about Steph Curry and how he's changing the NBA. And I feel like this is a perfect time to talk to me because not just this article for NBC Sports, it, it kind of speaks to where the NBA is this year. It does. And while we've seen some of the extremes of pace and offensive efficiency toned down, because generally offensive efficiency actually goes up over the course of a season, we are still in this overall uptick in both of those elements, pace and, and offensive efficiency. And while it is attributable to a lot of different sources, one of them, not only in terms of style of shots, but also pace of play is Steph Curry and then the Warriors more broadly, because something that is different, I mean, the seven seconds or less Suns are are integral in all of this, but the NBA, just like every other professional league, is a league of copycats. And what happened when the Warriors made it work to the degree that they did was it inspired a lot of replication. And something that's striking to me is how fast and how shoot happy these young teams that aren't there yet are. And I think that's what's really contributing a lot to this evolution. And that, I mean, you the piece, you drew a lot of comparisons with Trey Young and getting Trey Young talking about Steph Curry. And he is at the forefront of this being the definitive player on one of the league's young developing teams. Yeah, so the the NBA pace jumped up in 2015. I'm going off a basketball reference from 93.9 possessions per game to 95.8, then to 96.4, then to 97, and now at 100.7. And that's going to come down a little bit, like you mentioned, as the season goes on, teams either lose gas or they just stop listening to their coach uh, say run, 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 right? And so eventually that that pace number is going to come down. But I think a lot of it has to do with the way the Warriors change the game, which is it's okay if you're Steph Curry to pull up four seconds, five seconds into the shot clock and take a pull-up three-pointer if you're open. You know, a lot of times teams... I remember Jeff Van Gundy at the Sloan conference said like he, he asked his, his, uh, Daryl Morey and like the analytics staff with the uh, Houston Rockets and he was like, Hey, uh, wh- which play is the most efficient play that I have in my playbook? And they just looked at each other and said, um, no play, no play call, just like improvise. And it was one of these moments where, you know, for a coach that must be hard to hear is that improv and not being predictable and not having a set can actually be a really profitable play call. Because in today's NBA, I think a lot of, with all the advanced scouts and the uh, the analytics and the the fact that you know second spectrum, you can like track everything down to the most minute detail. I feel like it's a lot harder to get gain advantages um, in the half court. Whereas now Steph Curry kind of changed all that, and the seven seconds or less idea was, hey, why don't we try to attack when the defense isn't set? And with Steph Curry, the ball in his hands, a pull up three was just idiotic. It was not a good basketball shot until he did it. In many ways, he he kind of created this movement around the league where Kemba Walker is now shooting 10 three-pointers a game, not just because of Steph. He obviously put in the work, but I think a lot of it has to do with Steph making it okay, as Trey Young said. It made it okay for guys his size 
to pull up from range or pull up in the pick and roll and not attack in the pick and roll and use that shot to their advantage. And Steph Curry does it better than anybody still uh, shooting 51% on three-pointers and 64%, which is crazy. He's shooting 16 of 25 on shots beyond 27 feet. That's uh, It's ludicrous. I mean, I don't think that's sustainable. But right now, a Steph Curry deep three – is more profitable, more efficient than a dunk. I did the math. Dunks go in 91% of the time. And this Steph Curry with the added value of the three-pointer, and I'm forgetting about free throws right now, but right now that shot, the deep three-pointer, is 1.92 points per shot, and a dunk is 1.81 on average. So think about that. A deep three is more efficient than a dunk for Steph Curry. It's pretty remarkable. Something I I thought of when I was reading your piece is that there's an outside chance. I don't expect this to happen because you were talking about deep threes versus dunks. That Steph Curry ends his career with more games with 10 or more made threes than dunks in his career. And Curry has 25 dunks in his career. So that would be insane considering only three players in NBA history have more than one game with 10 plus threes. I don't expect him to do that. It's probably going to be nine or eight is where that line is for Steph. But it is remarkable just where, where that is going. And something that is a rip effect of that general concept is the idea of having bigger players you know they're not going to shoot at that kind of volume because there are lots of reasons why you unless they're that good why you wouldn't want that to be the case and you know Dirk and there are a lot of other players that do this and something that you have these two other impacts so one is and they both relate to bigs one is the physical geometry of the four that if you have bigs above the break threes or corner threes that it just takes away somebody from from that part of the lane. And that that one's kind of easy to understand. Those who watched the Milwaukee Bucks this year, as opposed to watching them last year, can get a pretty good understanding of this, even with players who are the same, like John Henson. John Henson is standing in a different place. That means his defender is in a different place, which means the help is not in the same spot. The second part, which I think is the more important one long-term, is the players that the league is selecting for, not only on rosters, but also in lineups themselves, are more offensive now than they were before. And so 100%. Then that yep. creates a self-fulfilling prophecy to an extent where when you have more offensive players, that also means you're going to have less defense. And so that is the mechanism that I think is, is also really turning this, that some of those defense-only guys, and, and Nate and I ended up on Dunked On talking about this in the context of Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. It's true of MKG. It's true of a lot of these guys, where if you can't shoot in the modern NBA, you have to do so much more in order to justify playing time. And so now we're seeing James Borrego take over your local Charlotte Hornets and not play MKG as much. And while there's an argument to be made that MKG is a better basketball player than Jeremy Lamb, I don't, I'd have to think about that a lot more. There's definitely an argument that that Lamb helps Charlotte's offense, even when his jump shot isn't falling as much, just because there's more space for Kemba to operate. And yeah, he's shooting a lot more threes, but he's also very efficient driving to the rim, both for his own looks and for creating for other people. Yeah. And I think uh, not only that, you hit on it. Uh, Malik Monk, Kemba Walker, and Tony Parker are actually like closing games from them. They're actually getting minutes. And that backcourt just wouldn't happen under Steve Clifford. I mean, the idea of having three, essentially three point guards out there defending would not be okay. And, and now in today's NBA, that's acceptable. Um, at least to look at it early on in the season and you're seeing it with, with Borrego. So I think, yes, league wide, uh, what the what the Warriors did to Tony Allen in the playoffs is kind of happening around the league, right? Is 
the Tony Allen effect of if you're Markel Fultz and you just everyone knows that you don't have a jump a reliable jump shot, you're afraid to shoot. You know that's going to make your whole offense compromised, and the defense is just not going to guard you. And so I think, um, you know, in today's NBA, the way the freedom of movement rules, uh, I haven't read Sam Amick's piece yet on The Athletic. I'm, I've, I've got it flagged here, but I'd imagine, you know, coaches are so just – I feel like coaches make their mark on the defensive end as as much as anything uh, in, in terms of what they do for an NBA franchise. And that's got to be really frustrating is that they've got to send bigs out to 30 feet away and they just have to re almost relearn and recalibrate how they coach. And imagine just like learning that the, the sky is blue for 20 years and then finding out that it's red. It's just – I can't imagine for coaches what it must be like to see this new crop of talent in the mold of Trey Young and Steph Curry and have to gear their principles towards that and say what what we used to think was right is now wrong. It's a great point. And the first thing I thought of when you said it was actually something I've never published this in any form because the piece got rejected. But I did a, a long interview with Festus Azili back when he was on the Warriors talking about his role. And, and something he brought up, which was really interesting, was this idea that he picked up basketball late. And he said that at first he thought that was a big disadvantage because, you know, these guys have so much more experience and everything else. And what he said, the the next part was really kind of profound for me. And it was the idea that while there are disadvantages, the other thing is that I didn't pick up bad habits that would have been really negative for where the game is going. Like that was mm. kind of the idea. And what something we see with these kind of hard driving coaches, Thibodeau is to me the most obvious example of this, but there are lots of them around the league of coaches that have this idea of what NBA basketball is, what basketball is, period. And it's totally fine to have those concepts. The thing is that you have to be pliable, you have to be malleable, because the history of the NBA, and this is something you get it, you got into into the step piece, is that it changes. You know, Michael Jordan popularized the dunk. It existed before him, but people conceived of it differently after that. And while there will always be people who think that when they played, when they coached, that that's the best way to do it, that is largely a useless criticism because what succeeds is what keeps going. Yeah, and and Larry Bird had a quote that I dug up. Uh, he he talked to the Hartford Current, I think in 1987, about uh, Magic Johnson, why he should have been MVP. And he had this line about how Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan, they're not Magic Johnson. Uh, they're not on that level because they're dunkers. And I found that like such a parallel to what we talk about with shooters and Steph – because it's almost like when you put shooters in its own category, in a adjacent to the larger conversation of player value, it almost belittles that skill. But in my opinion, Danny, and you can be, we can talk about this. Your ability to shoot from long range, because of what that does to tilt a defense, your ability to shoot from long range might be the single most valuable skill on a basketball basketball court. Because it doesn't even necessitate. It, it's a high percentage shot because three is worth more than two. And secondly, it's so hard to defend in space when you're at the, the half court line. There's no one there. Everyone's in the paint. You know, everyone's inside the three point arc, and there's very little chance for help defense coming to you when you're a very, and you're in a hot zone for Steph. And so when these guys are pulling up from 30 feet, a super important skill. And you saw the stat in there that I mentioned was, you know, that shot is almost worth two points if he's that, you know, if, it, if that's sustainable. 
having the ability to get that kind of payoff on a shot from so far away where there's very little chance of having a help defender or another defender to stop it, that's super valuable. And to kind of compartmentalize that talent in its own kind of category and not say, hey, he's the greatest shooter ever, therefore he is one of the best players ever. I feel like that kind of argument needs to be better understood is if you are the greatest shooter ever you have to be in the conversation for the best player ever because that skill of being able to create your own plus shot in ways that Kyle Korver can't or Del Curry his father can't is super valuable you know like the high percentage shot from 30 feet away I mean that's that's incredible. That's an incredible skill to have in the same way that Michael Jordan having the dunking skill was almost marginalized by Larry Bird. It's like he's just a dunker. Michael Jordan could get the ball from 25 feet away and put the ball in the hoop with his two hands. Like if we just take a step back, that's an incredible skill. That's an incredible basketball skill is that I'm going to make sure this ball goes in. I don't have to shoot it in the air. I can just put it in the basket on command rather than if you're Shaq you have to wait for the ball to come to you and he can't do that every time down the floor because he's not a point guard he's not bringing up the floor he doesn't have that kind of power that Michael Jordan does when he crosses half court with the ball he can just force his way to the rim because he's so fast so skilled and he can dunk it and put it in the hoop and it's just it feels weird to you know say someone is just a dunker when that skill itself is such a valuable skill to have in the same way that Steph shooting is such a valuable skill to have. Plenty more to talk about with Tom Haverstrow, but first a message from our friends at betonline.ag. I won the prediction contest again. I believe this is three weeks in a row and four out of five. Pretty good for a basketball guy, though I have experience with the NFL, of course. And that means that listeners of this, you can use the hashtag Sportsnet Challenge on Twitter. You can send it to me. And if you use the hashtag and your betonline.ag account number, people, some people will get a $100 bonus in their accounts, which is awesome. But then also, if you haven't signed up, it's a great time to do it because if you do that with betonline.ag and you use the podcast one promo code, you get a 50% signup bonus. So you get not only that bonus, which is awesome, but also you get the opportunity to get $100 in your account, which is pretty fantastic. Now is a great time to be with betonline.ag. Basketball, of course, going full force. Also, football, professional, college going on as well, and then other events as they come around. No more baseball anymore, but that's okay. So, betonline.ag, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus, and then send me a tweet using the hashtag SportsNetChallenge, and you can possibly get $100 in your account. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Also, a word from our friends at Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts is the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. Instead of heading to the doctor year after year to just renew your prescription for something you wear every day, you can do it on your own time and terms in just a few minutes. Vision care for the 21st century. Well, many of you know I wear glasses and do not wear contacts. I went through the simple context process to, to get a sense of it. I, I think that's very important to do and was really impressed with how thorough the experience is but while still being extremely user-friendly, fast, and reliable. I, I was really impressed. They I actually screwed up my test and they noticed that and had me redo it because I, I had gotten something and they didn't get a reliable sample. And 
when the vision test takes less than five minutes, it's not a problem to redo it. It was my own mistake, obviously. And it's so convenient. I'm, I'm really impressed with that. And the test is designed by ophthalmologists. A licensed doctor reviews every test. So you skip the office visit, but not the care. And Simple Contacts has all the brands and types of lenses that you're familiar with, so you don't have to shop around to find them at the best price. Vision test is only $20, which is substantially less than an appointment, which without insurance can be expensive. Up to $200 can be around there. And their lens prices are unbeatable too, so you have that in combination. And their lens prices get even more unbeatable when you use Real GM at checkout, or you just go to simplecontacts.com slash real GM. Either one works. And if you do so, you get $20 off your lenses. So again, go to simplecontacts.com slash real GM, or just enter the code real GM at checkout. Either way, tells them you came from us, you get $20. It's awesome. Simple Contacts, vision care for the 21st century. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. I think the line that you're that you're getting at, which is how I define a lot of elements of offense in the NBA, is whether you are a, a dependent talent or not. And part of why the shooters of yesteryear got marginalized was because, by and large, they were dependent talents. Now, there are guys like J.J. Redick, which actually bend those lines because he creates shots by movement without the ball in his hands. And so I think sometimes people understate that element of it. Corver, of course, has yes. some of that as well. But what makes Curry different and why he is the greatest shooter of all time is because he bridges the gap that I think some people weren't sure was going to be bridged anytime soon. And he is a creator, not only for himself. And, and I think Trey Young is actually an interesting evolution of it because I think he's a worse shooter than Steph, but arguably a better passer. Uh, but, I think he's a better passer. Yeah. I think so, he's a more creative passer. More yeah. creative passer. I mean, and he can do more with his offhand than Curry can already. And he's super young. He'll, he'll develop a lot with time, but it'll be a nice test because Curry brings extra, I mean, gravity is, is a word that you've used well with it. And I think and attention is one that I use as well, where it's, it's, it's about where people are standing, but it's also about where they're looking. And so when you combine those elements with somebody who has the ball in their hands, it is a completely different weapon. And that's something Michael Jordan did as well. I mean, those Bulls teams ran a, ran an offense that was more democratic than some, but Michael Jordan could do that. And he did in his, when he was younger. And then he did it, of course, when he was older too. But those are the guys that are really transformative. It's, it's not the, you know, the, the, and Dirk was, was interesting because he was a dominant scorer, but he, and he was more of an independent talent than almost everybody of his era who could shoot. So Curry, I think that's what makes him special is this idea that he facilitates and makes life easier on dependent talents rather than being one himself. Yes. And, uh, there is a, a great nylon calculus story about this topic is how he raises 
his teammates' value, his their shooting percentages more than any other player. And you wouldn't think that, given the fact that he's not, uh, you know, racking up ten assists a game. And we kind of. When we talk about who makes others better, we're almost just looking at the assist column. We're almost saying who is able to get other players higher percentage looks by virtue of how good they are as a passer with their vision, with their strength, with their skill, and their ability to think where is or lead the passer. So where are they going to be in a second rather than where they are right now? And Steph doesn't have that kind of ability, but what he does have is that gravity, that attention. And so when Alfonso McKinney is out there he, with Steph Curry, he's getting less attention out there and therefore having a much easier job getting points. And so Nile Calculus looked at on court, off court, when this player is on the court versus off court, how well do you shoot? And with Steph Curry, almost everybody had a huge jump in their field goal percentage, not because he's an amazing passer, but because he draws two to the ball and the defense is totally scrambling when he's crossing half court. I remember when I was like 15 years old or 12 years old and learning how to play transition defense. The number one thing was to get back and prevent the prevent the basket, like protect the basket first and then find you know the ball with him. You have to find the ball first. Forget the basket. Forget about getting back. You just have to find Steph Curry. And so that's how he bends the conventional rules of basketball and why it's so hard to defend. And I think just in general, uh, it's hard for people to catch up to that in ways that Michael Jordan was such a different prototype of an elite basketball player. Remember like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson and Wilt Chamberlain were great. Uh, you know, George Mikan, those were the greats. Um, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson was very rare to find someone who is shorter and being able to dunk and have that athleticism be the goat. And for a while, I think people were just slow to catch up on, hey, if he's super efficient and able to get those shots better than anybody else, Maybe he is the GOAT, um, and Steph Curry is just that good at, at turning bad shots into good ones, as John Wall put it the other day, that I think he deserves a lot more credit for not just how good he is, but also just for the how the entire league is trying to copycat what made him so good. The point about assists is a really good one, and it gets at an idea. You know, We've talked about this conceptually, and we've talked about mostly with the limitations of coaches, and it's that we are all subject, and this is we as analysts, but fans it's the same way, and, and people who work with teams. A lot of times we're subject to the inputs that we have available to us. And assists was really the measure of collaborative talent, you know, like what what you could do that wasn't scoring. And now we have much better information at our disposal, and that's only going to grow over the next few years and then over the next decades, especially when you consider how much money is now involved in these sports, when you consider gambling, when you consider the money, you know, the money that value in franchise, if your team wins a bunch of games, all that kind of stuff. Like there are so many incentives involved now to learning more cohesively what each player adds and takes away. And something that I've been thinking about over the last few days are those offensively limited players. Like we talked about this a little bit with MKG and that's something, but it's it's also, you know, like the Adam Morris of Denver Stiffs, not only calculus, did a thread on kind of how Tory Craig and 
Paul Millsap playing together has hurt Denver's offense just because it's guys that you can help off of. You can create more chaos. And there's some of that with Philly as well because they're playing Fultz and Simmons together, two guys who you have to defend when they're on the ball, but you don't have to do as much when they're off the ball. And the idea that players with their talents, with their aggressiveness, and also with the schemes that coaches and their staffs are putting together, that we can learn more and understand more about this than the basic numbers that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And and gravity and and respect rating is something we did a, a while ago with Kevin Pelton at ESPN. Just your ability to draw attention and to mag uh, be a magnet for defenders is is hugely valuable and kevin did this study about if you compared your box score stats just your your traditional stats to plus minus every year which stats are are properly or improperly valued in the box score compared to what what helps teams win and what he found was is that Three-point shooters, good three-point shooters, had a much higher plus-minus than expected given their box score line. And I always remember that is how I think that was trying to capture gravity. Like the ability to tilt a defense towards you when you don't have the ball, the J.J. Reddicks of the world, the Kyle Corvers of the world, or Clay Thompson, Steph Curry – when you're not have the ball, you have you're you're bending the defense in a way that makes it easier for others to score. And I think the contrast is true that the Tony Allens and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, like those guys, that it's tough. It's tough to play in today's NBA with all the information and the the proliferation of of analytics to be able to compensate for that. Unless you're an elite, an elite first team all defense like Tony Allen, it's going to be tough to compensate in today's NBA. And even if you're first team all defense, I think it might be tough. I mean, we didn't really get that full sample because Tony Allen's real last plays in like as the NBA was evolving was in that series against the Warriors back in 2015. And I think it would have only gotten crazier from there had he, you know, really been able to stick. And then I mean, we saw that with Rondo, who is a more aggressive, capable shooter. I mean, had been that way all of last year than Tony Allen had been in the late years of his career. And he got marginalized as well. And that will be more prevalent in playoff series just because that's when coaches and teams get to gameplay more specifically. But I will think for a long time this season about what Lloyd Pierce did to the Sixers, his former team, when not only did he put, you know, a, a, a different philosophy on guarding Markel Fultz because Markel Fultz was playing with Ben Simmons, but he put Kent Bazemore on them. And that's the other level of this non-shooter yep. defense. Yep. It's not just hiding somebody, you know, teams have done that for eons of put your worst defensive player, especially if it's your most important offensive player on the other team's worst offensive player. That's doable. And there's, there are times that that is the best tact, but this idea of putting a help defender, a capable, intelligent help defender on this limited player, and then basically having them freelance. Yeah, is, they're a free safety. Yeah, is a yeah. completely different idea, and it can be absolutely catastrophic for an offense to the point that teams like the Sixers should recalibrate how they do that. And it's not such an out-of-the-box idea anymore that you would only expect like avant-garde coaches to do it or something like that. Like 
to me, if you, the Sixers are still starting Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons together, and neither one of those guys has taken a significant leap forward in terms of their shooting, and the opponent in the first round does not use that strategy with any regularity, I'll consider it, you know, not severe malpractice, but a form of malpractice because we know that it works. And the only reason you might not want to do it is because then they might put in Redick instead and be a better team. Yeah, and I think I, I hadn't really considered that point about Kent Bazemore being like the you know, as a rover, like you want to have an athletic or a guy who can cover a lot of ground with long arms like Kent Bazemore as that guy instead of just putting your 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 Carmelo Anthony on him, so to speak. So, you know, I was at that game as part of the regional tour was I was at that Hawks 76ers game and it was just stark. It was it was I felt bad. I felt dirty. I felt like I was cringing watching what the Hawks were doing to Markel um, because, you know, after the game. You know, I went on the Philly broadcasts and they and Markel had a good stat line. He did in that game, but it was all when Ben Simmons was not on the floor, and it was all all the good things that the 76ers did was when when Markel Fultz was on the bench, and it was because of that defense. I felt like is just kind of clunked up everything that the 76ers wanted to do out there, and every time that Joel Embiid got the ball, Bazemore just doubled him every time, and it was just. It was really hard for them to have a functional offense that way. And I get that Ben Simmons is getting a lot of heat right now because he's, his name is Ben Simmons and he, uh, the whole rookie of the year thing last year and because he's repped by LeBron James's agent and he's a household name. But I, I don't think it's him so much as they're trying, they're experimenting this Markel Fultz thing, uh, next to Ben Simmons. And when you have two guys who can't shoot, like having one guy is okay, but having two guys who can't shoot, I just think can't fly in today's NBA. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it if Brett Brown wants to keep going with that lineup. I dug into that quarter a little bit for for the 15 and 60 on Dunked On, and the stat that was most striking to me was that there was about an eight-minute stretch in that first quarter where Marco Fultz played. The Sixers had a 65 offensive rating during that time, Ugh. and Joel Embiid played all eight minutes of that. Like Joel Embiid has been one of the best players in the entire NBA this year. You have him on the floor— and yeah, some of that is shots not going in that often do and all that kind of stuff. But, and it's, it's an eight minute sample. We're not talking about 800 possessions or something like that. But, but also, like, I think a lot of that is when I looked at the numbers, they don't have, they don't shoot threes with that lineup, which is kind of right. like, duh. But they don't have a guy, like, Rocco is a good three-point shooter, but he's not a guy who's going to be a high-volume three-point shooter in ways that you can you can compensate for having Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons out there. And Joel Embiid was in the paint for a lot of that. And so it was it, – they don't get any spacing. They don't get any stretch from that lineup, and that's a lot of the reason why you saw it in the 60s, the O rating in the 60s. Right, and – Covington, Sharich, both both guys that I think will be better than offensively than they've been so far. I mean, Sharich had a nice game against the against the Pacers, which is encouraging because he they need him to have that. But the Sixers have a lot a lot of their support guys are support guys because they're not really those dominant one on one creators, and so you can exploit those circumstances. And that's the other problem with those limited limited guys have a lot of value, especially somebody like Covington who's so gifted defensively as a team defender. Some Sometimes one-on-one, but more as a team defender. But if they can't attack a mismatch, so like, for example, Hawks still had to put Trey Young somewhere. But even though there were guys that were bigger than him, they weren't going to like beat him up in the post or, you know, just rattle threes, treat him like a ball rack, something like that. And then that's the kind of the other component of this. I think back to a game last year when Yusuf Nurkic attacked Houston's switching defense by just getting a small on him, getting the ball, getting position, and then just trying to score within the first two seconds. And 
the, again, there are always counters. Like that's one of the most fun things about basketball. It's why I gravitated to it despite growing up with other sports is that there is no singular solution. And so one of the interesting tests now is going to be who can and who cannot take advantage of the structural benefits that they get with a given system. So that's bigs who can't take advantage of switches versus those who can and smalls that can take advantage of switches and those who, who cannot. So I, I'm really fascinated to see where that goes over the next couple of years, not in, term, uh, in terms of the players, sure, but also in terms of coaching of what do you try to create and what do you try to avoid? Plenty more to talk about with Tom Haberstroh, but first a message from Pluto TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. And what makes it even better is that they never ask for a credit card and you don't even need to sign up to watch for free. So there aren't any of those hangups that can be there in so-called free sites. It's easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. Plus, you can download it for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, smart TV, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, Roku, PlayStation, anywhere else you stream. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. And also a message from our friends at TrueCar. Here are some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. And you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Weird, right? Well, here is another tip you also might not know about. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar is not just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid, so they know if they are getting a good deal before buying. They are also more likely to enjoy faster buying experience by connecting with TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out TrueCar. Enjoy more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. So I wanted to ask you about this because I'm seeing a lot of hand-wringing about where the NBA is going and how hard it is to defend so let's put our thinking – or let's let's take our fortune teller glasses, I don't know what you want to call it, and peer into the NBA in five years. Is the offensive rating still going to be where it is now? Just the average points per possession going to be sky high like it is right now? Or do you think there's going to be a recalibration? Let's just forget about rule changes or any any sort of legislation that's going to change in the NBA and just look at how the defense is going to adjust to today's NBA. Do you think it's going to continue to be this hard to defend? Because right now, on basketball reference, the offensive rating's at 109.5. It was at 108.6 last year, so it, it, it it's about a point more efficient. Do you think it's going to continue trending that way, or how are defenses going to adjust to this three-point pace and space league. I think there will be an adjustment, but I do not think that adjustment will be enough. I think the pressure of playing offensively talented players and putting them in a position to succeed is a more dominant force right now. And yeah, the there might be some outlier stuff in terms of the offensive rating right now. It might end up being that this year tones down closer to what 17-18 was. And and that wouldn't be a surprise. Like I don't think this is it's going to go to like 115 in a couple of years. Though I'm not writing off that possibility. I don't I don't yeah. think it's wise to. But I think what is going to have to happen is the trying to find these unicorns. I mean, people use that with big men who can jump shoot. Well, that's not a unicorn anymore because there are too damn many of them. Yeah. The, really what you're looking for is players that 
are capable in a lot of different areas and not deficient. And the problem with that is you want those players to be somewhere between six foot five and strong and six foot nine or ten. There are not that many people who fulfill all of those categories. Right. And maybe with skill development of young players in 10 years, we can get there. But for right now, if you're looking for that and all offense, no defense is better than all defense, no offense, it's going to tilt pretty strongly in that direction. So I think we're going to see more of a turn there. But also, players are going to get more comfortable with these points of education. And, and there are ways to defend without grabbing dudes. Like it, it, It's harder. It, it most definitely is. And offense will go up because of it, if, assuming the league holds pretty steadfast. And I expect them to mostly, not all the way, because we know how these things go. Mm-hmm. But I think there's just this calibration that needs to happen of the idea of like, oh, if I get beat, I need to grab this guy. And the analogy that I would make here, and this is going to happen if the NBA ever does the right thing, is with the what Nate and I call Euro fouling, which is intentional fouls to stop a fast break. Now, yep. given the current structure and the incentives involved, it is the right call to do fairly often, as long as you're not getting into foul trouble, teams getting the bonus, there's some other cascading effects which don't get talked about enough. But beyond that... If the league changes it because it makes the product less watchable, it also makes it makes games longer, everything else. If they legislate, try to legislate that out, there will be this period of time where players still have their instincts and go, oh, this guy's going on a fast break. I'm going to foul him. And then they get, you know, a shot or two in the ball. And so there will be that period of time. And that's kind of where we are right now with the grabbing and holding. And the best practices, the tactics to move beyond that aren't really there yet. So it'll take a couple of years for that. But I think the overall offensive pressure is larger than that just because it's going to be really hard to defend. Yeah, and, and as as players, I think this doesn't get talked about enough. The geometry of the floor is expanding. The way that bigs like a Joakim Noah, Brooke Lopez, they have to run out to 30 feet now, whereas before they could just camp out in the paint. And so that creates a lot more just movement in general, and and generally it's harder to defend when you're not standing around. And also it's just going to create a lot more space by which to work. So the geometry of the NBA 30 years ago was a lot smaller, and now it's so much bigger, and that's going to create a lot more injuries in my opinion, but it's also going to create a lot more space for shooters, and I just don't know how the floor shrinks again. It also creates so much space for drivers, and that's another way that this is is really important. Like, I mean, people who watch the Bucks. I mean, this is a great example. Yeah. Giannis, there just isn't as much resistance. He gets into the paint, and there's no one there. And forget everything you know about the Bucks, by the way. If you're watching the Bucks this year, forget everything you know about them. They're they're a totally different team. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very very exciting. And generally speaking, that's where it's going. There are going to be more circumstances like that rather than fewer. And that should not be interpreted to say every team is going to go that way. I think one of the most exciting, I talked about this before, I have there's no perfect solutions, is that great players who do other things are still going to be really successful. I, I still think there's a place for Rudy Gobert. I think there's a place for Joel Embiid as a defender. You know, obviously, he's an offensive player. He's totally fine. And it's just going to be picking spots and figuring out how those guys are best used. Screeners are still incredibly valuable in the league. And A great example of the importance of big men is the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers tried this idea, and they'll they'll go back to it for moments in time, of playing without, not necessarily playing without a big man, because teams do that a fair amount, but playing without somebody who did big man things. I mean, setting screens, grabbing offensive and defensive rebounds, boxing out, and defensively, they struggled. And the reason they struggled is because there is a value to that in the game. 
the yep. challenge that seems the gauntlet that a lot of these teams are throwing out there, and the Warriors are the most prominent because Draymond, this I hope people will appreciate Draymond Green for this, is that you're trying to replicate those quote-unquote big man things a lot of times with a player who is not a traditional big. And that's the double that teams like the Warriors can pull off. That's what the Rockets are trying to do with P.J. Tucker. It's really hard. There aren't that many guys that can do it. And that's where the big man still relies. It might end up being that more bigs look like Anthony Davis, even though there aren't many Anthony Davises around. And I think that's a good thing overall. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's skill ball. Skill ball is like the ability to throw out a guy like Draymond Green and versus Bismack Biombo. You know, like Bismack Biombo can defend the rim like Draymond Green, but he can't run a fast break like Draymond Green can. He doesn't have the vision like Draymond Green can. He doesn't have a jump shot like, I mean, Draymond Green isn't Clay Thompson out there, but he actually has a jump shot. He's a guy that people love playing for. So like there's, like Draymond Green is such a perfect component, uh, compliment for Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and KD because he's, He's able to leverage those talents so well with his passing, and it's just skill ball. And I think it's funny to hear that Tyson Chandler, who was kind of the prototype big man for a long time, I did a story on Hassan Whiteside, and, and part of the reason why he felt like he didn't get a fair shot in the NBA is because when he came with the Sacramento Kings, they sat him down and they said – all right, we know that you think you can shoot jumpers and we know you think you can do a lot more guard wing type things, but we need you to be Tyson Chandler. Rim run and protect the basket. And that style of basketball of like just rim run and uh, – just defend the rim uh it seems like it fell out of vogue in the nba and now tyson chandler comes to the rescue for the los angeles lakers and for a game for one night it seemed like all is well in Lakerland. but i do i do want to remind people that lebron coasted last year because he had the carrot at the end of we're get we got to play in the finals like i gotta i gotta conserve my energy here for the regular season and because we're going to be playing for the finals i don't know how to excuse the basketball that that team has played defensively especially with lebron like maybe he's just conserving because he knows that this isn't a championship level team and that you know what i it's not worth my effort to be all over the place one through five as eric spolster and that he called him in miami I just don't see the incentive for him to bust his tail off on this defense. And so I think, you know, when you're a defense looking for a leader and looking for who sets the tone for us defensively and you see LeBron James, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to have that miracle cure with, uh, with Tyson Chandler. They're not a good defensive team. They're not as bad as the Cavs were last year, but I still just don't see how they're going to become good enough defensively to, to safely make the playoffs. It's hard because there's never going to be an honest answer here, but I think back to something that, that Kobe said, which was this idea that getting back to full strength, you know, he talked about this kind of each season. It was thinking about retirement and everything like that, like getting back to the level that is required of an NBA player gets harder and harder as you get older. And I mean, LeBron is six foot nine. He's a Mack truck, all these other things. But you can think about that not on the necessarily on the macro of a season by season like Kobe was talking about, but on a game by game basis that it might just take too much out of his battery game by game. So it's not necessarily about conserving energy, though I do agree with you that that's what it was last year. It might be that he just has less energy now and it's unrealistic to say that he'll do that or maybe he just doesn't have an interest in it. I mean, defense is not particularly fun and he learned last year that as long as his team makes it in 
the dance, they can go pretty far. I mean, they benefited from Boston losing some of their best players and everything else. So maybe it's this idea that he doesn't need to define himself by the regular season anymore. Maybe he won't win any more MVPs, but I don't think his defense is the difference between him winning it and not winning it this year. So it's kind of in a way like what the Warriors have done at moments in time, which is it's not necessarily about conserving energy. It's just being that you know that this time doesn't count as much as the other time. Yeah, and right now, uh, LeBron James is the fourth slowest, and slowest, I always put in caps, the fourth slowest defensive defensive player by miles per hour. And people think, oh, he's super fast in, on defense. What is that? Like, how, how does that make sense? But really what it is is how much ground are you covering per minute or per you know hour while you're on the floor? And LeBron's fourth right now, and he's usually at the bottom of the league. So, like, statistically, he doesn't cover much ground on a per-minute basis because I think he knows he can cover ground. But I think in years past, he was conserving energy, and I just think in general LeBron James is a much more overrated defender. He has the tools to be an elite defender, and we saw the block on Andre Iguodala, the chase-down block. He's able to cover so much more ground because he's – He's a wide receiver out there, a two-time all-state wide receiver at Ohio in high school. But that was for championship caliber teams. And I feel like, you know, last year the the Cleveland Cavaliers were the most the, the worst team covering the spread in the NBA because I think people just generally overrate the LeBron James team in the regular season. They just generally do. Uh they look at LeBron and they say they know that he's when he's trying the best player in the NBA and in the regular season that doesn't happen often. And last year he knew, just like you said, he coasted at a tw- the defense was 29th in the NBA last year and they got to the finals anyway. So I think that's going to be really tough for him is is managing that while right now he's struggling from from deep. I just generally surprised at how people thought that this Lakers team was supposed to be better when A, we know LeBron James teams have a tendency to be slow at the gate and B, the defense, I don't know how they were supposed to be better than they were. We know this. We know that the, that LeBron James defenses struggle in the regular season and they just don't have enough defensive talent to make up for that. The gulf is probably explained by capability versus expected value. And a lot of times this happens of like, oh yeah, LeBron can defend. He doesn't. And it can be done in the abstract. You think about guys like Andrew Wiggins, I think got the benefit of this, like, oh, he could be a good defender. That doesn't mean he is. He hasn't been so far. And with LeBron, I mean, we have enough of a sample here to to know where this is going. And you can vilify him if you choose to. I, I, I personally, maybe because he and I are the same age, I don't do that. I just go, well, that's just what he is right now. But at a certain point, it doesn't matter why it's the case. What matters is that it is the case. And I think that's where people have gotten the Lakers wrong is this understanding. And now maybe you build the team a little bit differently around him. Maybe you do some of these different elements. Maybe you just kind of grin and bear it and say, we're going to be a shaky defense when he's on the floor and we can be a great offense. And that's going to be enough to make the playoffs. And then, and you know, they're not going to probably win a championship with this iteration. If they add a lot more talent, maybe they, that, that, calculus changes. But that's an important part of this as well, is understanding what a team is. And while nothing is set in stone, we have a pretty good idea of where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, Danny, that, that's when LeBron is actually playing for them. And I and I worry that if this keeps going south and he sees what's at the end of this tunnel, I think he's going to be like, hey, got to go on a maintenance trip to, to Miami again for two weeks. You know, like that's I, I wonder how that's going to play if they continue to you know play mediocre basketball and he gets a lot of a lot of blame for it. And I wonder like if he knows that this isn't going to be worth it for him to put his body through the grinder again. 
not that we're going to see a Le'Veon Bell holdout here, but I do wonder if part of him is like, man, I want to, I just want to play when my son plays, and it's not worth it to me to put my body on the line every single night for this to play 500 basketball. And it'll be pretty funny if they end up defending way better when he's not there. I mean, the, oh, offense, the yeah. offense will suffer, obviously, but I don't see much of a reason to believe that when you bring back kind of the elements of last year's Lakers team with the same coach, they know what it takes. They just don't really have the same tools in the tool shed right now. So I wonder what that'll do. And there is, you know, I, I think that it's important to acknowledge that this is temporary because if they bring in somebody amazing like Kawhi or like Jimmy Butler or Clay Thompson, then, then this changes, though that is not a certainty either. Either. And I wonder, just thinking out loud, how those players are going to interpret what they're seeing from the Lakers this year about, oh, the regular season, LeBron's going to coast, you know, and we'll see what he, if they make the playoffs, and I expect they will, of what, what happens then. But they're signing up for a very different grind than they were if they were playing with like age 28 LeBron. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Much, much different. And um, I, I don't, I don't see how. I guess I guess the Magic Johnson meeting with Luke Walton that was reported I guess that's going to throw a lot more fire onto the or fuel to the fire of that they're they're under expectations like I don't feel like Magic needs to berate Luke Walton for their their performance so far first of all a lot of the roster has turned over and secondly I don't think this is the right personnel to to maximize LeBron James so I guess that's where a lot of the hand-wringing is about the Lakers is because of that report and because Magic Johnson has better expectations than how they perform but uh, I I think this is going to be a 500 team all season yeah that are close to it anything else you want to discuss or we can end it I mean it's been a wonderful episode yeah um I gotta run so uh this is probably um as great as time as any to, to end it. But I appreciate you having me on and thanks so much for letting me talk about the article. Absolutely. Thanks again to Tom Haberstroh for taking the time to come on. You can see him now more frequently, if especially if your team is an NBC Sports affiliate. He is on the broadcast a lot, which has been really fun for me. I've liked seeing him bouncing around on different broadcasts. As he said during our recording, he's gotten to see some really interesting basketball so far, including Curry's 51 and that Hawks Sixers game that fascinated both of us. Us. You can also, of course, listen to him on podcasts basically everywhere. He does really great work. And follow him on Twitter at Tom Haberstroh, T-O-M-H-A-B-E-R-S-T-R-O-H. Really happy to have him on and to, to get to have this kind of a conversation. It's really the type of thing that I always think of as one of the selling points of Real Jam Radio is not necessarily being prisoners of the moment, but still talking about how what we're seeing right now fits in the larger context of everything else. So really happy Tom is a great person to have that conversation with, and so I'm happy we did. I might start making the transition into more specific stuff soon. It really does depend on, on the guest and the schedule and what storylines are going on in the league. Unfortunately, we've had some injuries recently, so that changes some of the stuff that you want to talk about because you know don't necessarily want to talk about a team with somebody hurt on it so we'll see where it goes from here that is a great reason to subscribe and download every episode because you never know exactly where it's going to go another reason to do that is because real gm radio comes out at a different time depending on guest availability and that means that you can't really plan for it it just it comes when it comes but it will be of course every week just like it always is also, if you want to support the show, leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player you're choosing. And if that's not Apple Podcasts, you can be super awesome and rate and review at both places. That's something that can be really useful for us and for the show and trying to bro it. And also just 
spreading the word. If there's an episode or you just think other people would like the show, tell them. It's been around for a while, but you can go through it. And also, if you feel so inclined, you can go back through the catalog. Real Jam Radio has always been designed as a show that ages more gracefully, let's put it that way, than most other ones. So that's a part of the idea for me. There are some interesting conversations that I mean, as far back as you want to go. I mean, you could Nate Duncan's first podcast appearance is, is way back there. Some really interesting stuff with Ethan Sherwood Strauss and various, various other people. It's been so much fun to do that. And you can go back. They should all be available. If they're not, let me know. And the most important way to support this show and any other podcast that has them is by checking out our advertisers. So for this one, betonline.ag, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. Also, as I mentioned during the read, hashtag Sportsnet Challenge, that and your bet online account number, which you can sign up for and get that bonus, you get a possibility of getting $100 because I won the prediction contest again this week. I am apparently an NFL prediction monster, which is pretty fun. And Simple Contacts, simplecontacts.com slash RealGM or the RealGM promo code gives you $20 off your order. Pluto TV, leading free streaming television service, and True Car, great place to buy a new and used car. I will be back next week. I do not know the guests, do not know the topic, but we'll figure it out as it comes. And if you want my more granular, specific stuff on the NBA, you can listen to Dunked On. That's the five times a week podcast that Nate and I do, and we get into all that. And then, of course, my writing work, when that comes up, it's typically at The Athletic, though I will have some stuff at Real GM as well. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.